Welcome, welcome. This is episode four of Up Next with AJ. Wow, you guys are really in for a treat today. I have some awesome content coming up with the most wonderful Catherine Hawks. Get ready, because there's a lot of wisdom about to be dropped. (laughs) Seriously, I had such a great time talking with Catherine and uh, learned a lot. She's got such great insights, uh, and y'all are going to love this. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, we are here today with the wonderful Miss Catherine Hawks. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being here today. We're excited to chat and, you know, get to know you more. So let's get right into it. Okay. Tell us about you, about your background, where you're from, what's your life story? My whole life story? You want that? How much time you got? (laughs) Um, So I was born and raised in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. I, as soon as I was old enough to leave, I did just that and I left for New York. And I went and got my undergraduate there and then I left for Florida for a little while and got relocated back to New York where um, I lost my job after getting relocated Seven months after they relocated me, I lost my job, and it was kind of the catalyst for me going into music, because mm. I had two master's degrees at that point, was overqualified for every position I applied for, could not find a job, so I decided to get into entertainment um, as a means to network and figure out how to make my way in music. So I worked on a lot of television and films, um, I worked on Law & Order, I worked on Blue Bloods, I worked on Nurse Jackie, uh, I worked on Kanye West's video for Monster, it was a a video vixen, not really, I was a zombie in that video. (laughs) I didn't know that, (laughs) that's so cool. (laughs) Um, In fact, we just watched Man on a Ledge the other day, I worked on that, it was a three weekend shoot, it was pretty grueling, Um, but a lot of the stuff I worked on I never watched, so we we were just revisiting that the other day. But in any event, on the set of Blue Bloods, I met someone who we became Facebook friends, and he had a band, and I saw that he had started a Kickstarter. Okay. And that was when Kickstarter was kind of a new thing, and people didn't really know about it. And he looked at what he did, and I was like, I think I could do that. So I did, and I ended up raising $5,155 in, I can't remember how many days, I want to say it was 72 days or something. It was like maybe two months. Um, And that's what funded my first music project. Mm. And uh, during that time, my apartment got broken into. I was living alone. I was really scared to go into my apartment anymore because I was in the Bronx. And, you know, I was unemployed. I had just raised money for all these projects. I was coming home late at night and leaving early in the morning for uh, television shows and stuff. I'd have to leave at like 4 or 5 in the morning. It was pitch black at night, and then I'd get home. It'd be 11, 12 o'clock at night. So sometimes I fell asleep in my car because I was so scared to walk back into my apartment. But at that point, I had decided that I did not want to do anything to uh, to keep spending money on surviving. So I sold everything that I owned, and I moved into my car to complete my first music project. That was 2011. 10 years ago now, which is so strange, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I lived in my, my car for my first music project, which came out on 11, 11, 11, and that was called Light Shines Through Me. It was an EP that was mainly funded by that Kickstarter, and, uh, I, it was an incredible event. It was in the Bronx at a place called Remedies. I had, like, 10 artists perform. I had, like, 15 sponsors, and I was homeless during the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. <laughs> and uh, it really just showed me um, faith. It showed me the importance of faith in my life and purpose. Mm-hmm. And there's really been no going back since then. So I've been, yeah, I've been an indie artist for 10 years. Uh, well, I guess November 11th will be kind of the official 10-year mark. But they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. So any day now. <laughs> <laughs> so 
that I guess that's kind of the abridged version of sort okay. of my life, or at least my life as it as it transitioned into music. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about New York. I've only visited a few times. I do love that city, and I'm I'm very curious. Kind of, you shared a little bit about the experience of living there, but you know being an artist there what's the scene like what's you know the atmosphere like oversaturated and condescending (laughs) (laughs) if I could say it in two words it's a lot I mean I I was very very fortunate um to perform on a lot of stages I was welcomed onto a lot of stages and I'm very thankful for that Mm -hmm. um you know everywhere from Webster Hall Lennox Lounge before it closed uh the cutting room uh, the Bitter End, Sullivan Hall, Tammany Hall. Oh gosh, like all all the halls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I was kind of walking a fine line between the live music scene and the hip hop scene. Okay. It was kind of affectionately known as the soccer mom of hip hop, and I wasn't <laughs> at that point quite doing hip hop, but it, there was just something. There was a natural connection there. And um, my hip-hop friends kind of thought I was weird because I hung out with all my, you know, my band geek friends Mm -hmm. that were all live musicians. And my live musicians' friends gave me a hard time for hanging out with hip-hop people who they didn't consider real musicians. So it was a very strange dichotomy to live in both worlds and to be and exist and perform in both worlds. And there were magic moments of, like, integration of both. Um, But, yeah, it was... It was interesting. It was wonderful. I met a bajillion people during the course of uh, my time there performing. Um, It's nothing like Nashville. Mm. Like, you know, you can potentially get paid to pay, get paid to play original music here. I mean, obviously the cover stuff is still more prominent for the tourists and all of that, but it's much more a likelihood. And it's the songwriting capital, right? Mm -hmm. So in New York, I was kind of like, the odd man out and was told many many times like what are you doing just go do covers and make money and do this and I was like I don't want to sing other people's songs I want other people to sing mine Mm, and I just I just held on to that and I kept pushing and I did a lot of crowdsourcing so I raised over the course of time uh, close to twelve thousand dollars in crowdsourcing through kickstarter indiegogo gofundme all kinds of stuff and I, through that, also ended up going to Kingston, Jamaica and recorded a, a reggae remix to one of my songs called Screaming to be Free. And I left there and I came home and I storyboarded the, enchi- the entire children's book in one day. And it was actually on 11-11, which was strange. Wow. <laughs> um, or is it? Or not. I was going to say. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah. So, then I had a children's book also. So, anyway, you were asking about New York. And so, New York is all the things that people say it is mm-hmm. but it's a lot of things that people don't know too which is like wonderful and it's such it is a melting pot so yeah whatever you're looking for it's there right. you just have to be willing to do the work and look for it and find your people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it seems like it's I mean I have some people that I know in in Chicago who mm-hmm. moved to New York after we went to school and uh, they're mainly in the jazz scene mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. And I've just always been really impressed with them and, you know, proud of them and just like kudos yeah. to anyone who can go there and, you know, make it work. Right. Because it's definitely a cutthroat city. For sure. And, you know, you but now you can end your life knowing that you went there and oh, yeah. like you did the New York thing and I, I totally fell out of love with New York towards the end which wasn't mm, always the case yeah. like I loved New York when I moved to Florida my whole goal was to move back to New York and when I finally got the opportunity to do it I made a promise to God that if I did it I would pursue music and seven months later God was like what's up yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do now you said that if you got back here And, you know, for the first time in my life, I had the time, but I didn't have the money. Right. So it was interesting. But it was, again, just a, it was a real test in faith and purpose and willpower and just persistence. Yeah. But yeah. For sure. But by the end of it, I was ready to go. 
I like had kind of it was a lot of things. It was a lot of personal things that happened and people I felt like I needed to get some space from situations I needed space from. But I thought I was moving to Austin, Texas. I had never planned to move to Nashville. Oh. Ever. Okay. So then what <laughs> why are you here now then? How did that happen? <laughs> so glad you asked. No. Um I had been performing at South by Southwest every year in Austin. Okay. And um I've had a lot of little synchronistic things happen along, not not little, like big, <laughs> big synchronistic things happen along the way. My first trip there to perform, I rented an Airbnb for the first time and my host ended up being a drummer. Okay. So it ended up being that he called a few of his friends and they ended up playing South By with me. They were all local musicians from Austin and we became really great friends. I w- stayed with them each year after that. They oh, played cool. with me at South By. Like, they were blown away because they were like, so we're going... They had never... They, I don't know if they had ever been or if they had been, but just, you know, it's a, it's kind of a pricey thing to get into. It's a very pricey thing. God bless South By because it's not happening in person this year. But they were, you know, just so tickled to be playing. And then they, I got their girlfriends and their wives in. And, like, so they got to enjoy the festival. And not only did they get into everything, but they got there as artists. So they got to go into the artist lounge and do all that stuff, which was cool. Nice. Um, So I had totally fallen in love with Austin Mm. as a city and the people and the music. And it's the live music capital of the world. Um, And just as I, I put my stuff in storage towards the end of my time in New York. I knew I was leaving. And um, I was just bouncing around from Airbnbs. I wasn't quite living in my car, but there were a few nights um, that I was kind of back in that space. But I was just trying to create the space to leave. Mm -hmm. And as I was getting ready to shift gears to go to Austin, the woman that helped raise me was like, I know you love Austin, and I know you've had nothing but good experiences there, but I think you should really go check out Nashville before you make the move. Mm, And yeah, and on my flight there, some random person... Facebook messaged me that they had early I don't even I still to this day have no idea who this person was or how they knew I was I don't know it was just a bit of you know that universal law of work and uh he reached out to say had early bird tickets to the CD Baby music conference okay that he wasn't using and it was the week that I was going to Nashville and I was literally on a layover in Boston on my way to Nashville and it was like what so I said all right cool go and I went to the conference and I met I met a ton of people and ran into a ton of people that I knew what really strange because I'm like in this place that I I've only been here twice ever in my life before and it was millions of years ago um like literally like eons and so it was like so strange and um the woman that helped raise me her son lives in Gallatin so I stayed with him and his next door neighbor was a retired hit songwriter for country music and he was like you gotta meet buddy so i sat down with buddy we got to know each other we drove around we listened to music and he said my family calls me katie so he said katie you are really talented he said you are not country (laughs) he said but but if you really want to do something i have to do buddy's voice every time i say this story if you want to do something in music this is a city you need to be and you need to get here. And so I went back to New York and I I got my life together to a place where I could move and I got on an airplane on Christmas Day of 2017 and that's, that's yeah, that's it. That's how I ended up here. No more Austin, just like that. I had been wow. working on getting to Austin for like a year and in a matter of a week, all of a sudden my entire life shifted trajectory and I ended up here. That's crazy. You know, it's funny how those things happen. Um, how you can have like a, a whole plan set. Oh, yeah. And then, but you mentioned uh, Universal Law, which mm-hmm. I want to do a quick detour. Oh, because it's never a detour. <laughs> it's my life. We'll get back to the, the music side of things in a second, but I wanted to bring it up while it's fresh in both of our minds. Um, it's something that I believe in, but I want to hear your spin on it. What is the universal law to you, if you were to explain it to someone that was just kind of, you know, what, you know, it was, they were hearing it for the first time. Okay. You know, what would you say? And then based on your experience, how do you go about Hmm. understanding universal law? 
I think my definition of universal law is ever evolving based on my own experiences and my my own creations mm-hmm. um, and my own alignment with universal law. Uh, but I would say that universal law at a very basic level is um, just the fundamental principles in which we exist. Um, that the, the universal law is really about aligning yourself with source, right? Whatever you consider source to be or whatever you call source. Some people call it God, Allah, whatever it is. Um, but the more that you take on that, that source power as your own, and the more you align with that, the more you kind of bend, you mold the world to your vision and, and to your heart. And um, there's all, I mean, there's work involved, right? It's not like this, it, it at one point in time was a natural thing that just was. Mm-hmm. Us clever humans in our, uh, just, gosh, in our humanity, <laughs> have, have created a lot of obstacles for ourselves along the way. And I'd say that universal law is letting go of all the things that we think that we can't do. It's letting go of our limitations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, really through integrating source power, knowing that we're capable of anything. Um, and that's it. Like, the, the law wants us to win. The mm-hmm. only thing that's in our way is us. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all there ever is. Right. And so the more you just become aware of yourself, aware of some of your subconscious beliefs, aware of mass consciousness, you can exist in a place that you are not unaffected by the things going on around you, but it's just a lot more self-referral. Mm, okay. Like self-referral and self-reliance is the name of the game in universal law. It's okay. not playing placing blame on anyone it's not playing the victim that is all very human (laughs) um that was all of our clever tricks and things that were led to believe it was also things that were put into place to control people Mm -hmm. because there were there was a time when people were highly aware of universal law and they were like wait a minute we can use this in our favor and then it became about materialism it became about all this other stuff and so it's all the other and the outer referral and victimhood and all this stuff, which is really, really running rampant right now in particular, especially in America. It's been interesting to see, um, as you see how divided the country is right now and everyone's pointing their finger in an opposite direction. And the only way that's ever going to change is if we point the finger back at ourselves and do the work within ourselves. Mm. We're, it's not, we're not going to change people by changing their minds. We have to do the work within ourselves to be able to shift humanity. Mm-hmm. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So when you say uh, align yourself kind of with source and whatever you see that to be, uh, what are some tips and tricks that you would give someone uh, in order for them to align? Like, what are certain things you do to try and get closer to that that sort of uh, one energy? Uh, my daily meditation practice is my number one priority in my life. Uh, okay. Sometimes before I brush my teeth, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the foundation for which I build my day. And it's also, I, I mean, it took me a long time to quiet my mind. I suffered from a great deal of depression and anxiety. I was hospitalized for suicide attempts in years past. It took me a long time to get to a space where I could just quiet my mind, let alone have a a meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So for anyone kind of just stepping there, taking the baby step towards that, I would just say find the thing that allows you to quiet your mind. It doesn't have to be a formal meditation practice in order to do so. And now, thankfully, there's a million apps around. There's all mm-hmm. kinds, uh, what is it, Headspace? Yeah. I think Headspace. Starbucks has Headspace on their app right now. It does. It's, yeah. it's been incredible <laughs> to see it being integrated even in corporate America. <clears throat> but I think people are waking up to the fact that, like, uh, of this importance, mm-hmm. um, even as employers for their employees, right. especially in light of the pandemic and all the stress people are feeling from that. People are looking for a way to cope, to deal. And so um, whether, you know, I, I led a meditation workshop and we went around the room and I just asked people, you know, when's the, the last time that you felt no fear? 
that you didn't feel like, you know, all the millions of thoughts flooding through your head. When, when was the last experience that you had like that? And what was the experience? Some people said it was when they were running. Some people said it was when they were playing an instrument. Some people mm-hmm. said it was when they were playing with their children. Aww. You know what I'm saying? So whatever that space is that you become aware that you are not in your head, that's that quiet space. And just by flexing that muscle, you're, you're building the capacity to have that quiet mind. And the more capacity you have for that, the more you can, you can begin a meditation practice. For me, I had to flex a lot of different muscles before I could have a daily practice. So, cause I know mm-hmm. some people are like, you know, trying to eat the elephant, so yeah. to speak, where it's like, well, I can't sit for 20 minutes in silence. Well, don't start with 20 <laughs> minutes. Start with a minute. Yeah. You know, when I first started, I did counting meditations, walking meditations where I counted because I knew that if I count, if I was counting, I couldn't think another thought. Right. If I was saying one, two, three, and then a thought popped in, I'd have to restart the count. But I knew that I could not have two thoughts at the same time. I was either counting or I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning. That was part of my my beginning process. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the word daily also is really important to stress in that because, like you said, the it's a muscle. It's a muscle. Just like every other habit you have in your life. It's a muscle. <laughs> you got to flex it every day, even if, yeah, and I'm the same way. Some days I, there's, and Headspace actually has this option. You can pick how much time. Mm-hmm. You can go all the way down to two minutes up to like 20. Yeah. Of a meditation and it will guide you it's as well. Medita- I've never done Headspace. I just saw it. You know, I have the Starbucks app. So mm-hmm. I saw that it was on there. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, I just, you know, and there's, I don't know if it's the same one, the one that LeBron James has been promoting or is that a different one? Uh, I'm not sure. In any event, this is like, I mean, you see elite athletes use this kind of work to be able to have the level of focus that they have. Mm-hmm. You don't need to become LeBron James in your meditation practice, but you can. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. it's just about having that quiet mind. And the quieter your mind, the more you become inner referral instead of outer referral. Because mm-hmm. outer referral is where you take everything on outside of you as truth or take it on as your own or someone like I'm very empathetic, you know, and as an empath, like I feel a lot of other people's stuff and it took me a long time to realize that that was theirs and not mine. Yeah. Um, and it also took me a while to, even once I became aware of that fact to not still take it on. Even once I made the separation, it was like, okay, got it. And just, yeah. I mean, for me, it's been freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Having a quiet mind has been the number one thing that changed and saved my life for sure awesome so how does this impact your art and your music in every way (laughs) in all ways literally um so I'm a visual artist I'm an author illustrator and songwriter and singer so as a songwriter I think probably I became aware of the the importance of it first. It was like so abundantly clear to me. Like the first song I ever went into the studio to completely lay down during that time that I told you about earlier in our conversation. The first song, I have my whole book, right? I, I have millions of books, but I have that song written out on the pages. But when I look back at that experience, I have no actual memory of it. Mm-hmm. It's like it. I dreamt it. For me, it's been getting out of the way of the song. Um, as a songwriter, for me, it's just allowing Source to move through me and serving the song. And music is one of the, the highest forces, the highest vibrations, the highest forms of, of unifying people. Mm-hmm. And to me, that deserves the utmost respect and reverence. And so I've just learned, yeah, like, it's just it's it's so important because I truly believe that something's moving through me when I'm writing or creating art or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just getting out of the way of it right know? and because the more I get in the way the more I can see myself in it and I'm like all right get out of here that's <laughs> not what's happening here today so but yeah I think that it's 
they go hand in hand. And the, the mm-hmm. more I have become dedicated to my practice, the better I've become as an artist, the better I've become as a songwriter, the better I've become as a human being, as a dog mom, as a girlfriend, <laughs> as a friend. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've just been able to have a lot more open space for people that I, I always wanted to be that before, but I didn't really have the capacity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for lack of wanting. It was just lack of ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're in that place too, where you've kind of found a new um, place with yourself, you're able to be more empathetic to people who maybe don't seem to have time for you or don't give you the attention and time that you feel like maybe you deserve from them or even things for that matter. Uh, because you're just more comfortable kind of with yourself and where you are in your life and you know that it's you know it's probably something to do with what they're going through and you understand because you've been there you know so yeah so I have this tattoo that says where is your attention oh Um, so I'm always paying attention to where my attention is (laughs) because attention is really life force um okay and, and there was this thing that I got at um at a therapist many many years ago one of many therapists that I went to and I've held on to it all these years and it has made many moves through many states okay and it's actually a quote from the four agreements and it says nothing others do is because of you what others say and do is a projection of their own reality their own dream when you are immune to the opinions and actions of others you won't be the victim of needless suffering and below there, there's just a little subtext and it say, you wouldn't worry so much about what other people thought of you if you realized how seldom they did. Oh. And it really hits hard, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but But this is it. it. A lot, you know, especially when we're younger and we're going through, you know, physical changes and stuff and we're worried about if people like us or if we're pretty enough or handsome enough or talented enough or whatever, it's really just outer referral. It's just constantly mm-hmm. wondering if we're good enough for the people out here. And so definitely, like you said, being in a new space, I don't think about other people. And not because I don't care about other people, but because I'm just aware of that this is this is my job, is right here. It's me. Mm-hmm. This is my home base. And nothing out here shifts until this shifts. And I've ha- I mean, I've literally had the experience with like my family before my mom passed away like how much shifting I did and how much work I did within myself to be able to create the space to have a relationship with my mother before she died. And it was a gift. It was a gift for both of us to be able to have that. But for so many years, I put on my mother that, you know, she didn't love me like she needed to or what. My mother was mentally ill. My mother was a wonderful woman. She was a devout Catholic. But I just didn't understand. And I wanted for something I wanted something from her that she just simply did not have the capacity for. Mm-hmm. And once I did the work on me, there's a saying in my in my work, they always say, When you shift, they shift. And mm. it, it took me forever and I was like waiting for it to happen. I'm like, they keep saying this, but I don't know. <laughs> and then it happened. And I was like, Oh. And I speak to my father every day and he's like, You're not the same person you were. You're like a totally different person. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's an honor because now I'm responsible for my father in this part of his life. And I never would have had the capacity to play the role that I'm playing right now had I not done the work with myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I guess I say all that to say, yes, I have a lot more compassion for other people. I have a lot more understanding. I know that when I started dating Jonathan, uh, my boyfriend, we, I, you know, I'd tell him, I said, there's literally nothing you could tell me that would like, you know, shock me or <laughs> make me feel like whatever. And he's like, I don't know, I've, mm, my life. And I'm like, okay, well, this is your projection of your life. And yeah. then as we went along, he shared different things and he learned the truth of like, I wasn't, I don't know if I can swear on here. So I've just been trying to keep it clean, okay. but I wasn't BSing. Ah, um, I was, I meant it. Like there's literally nothing, there's nothing that we experience as humans that we can't understand on some level. Right. Even if we wouldn't do it ourselves. Yeah. Um, or even if we project that to be evil or whatever, in some part of ourselves, we have to own the truth 
of that which is us mm-hmm. there is some part of us you know and but a lot of it's just projection it's just projection and it's lack of ownership of self and the more you can own all of this stuff out here is you the more at one with yourself you'll be and the more at one you'll be with everyone else mm-hmm. for sure and then the people that you know want you in their life will come to you they will and I, I mean, I've definitely struggled with this in terms of, you know, other people and friends that maybe I wanted to stay in my life or I wanted to keep around. And I, you know, kind of was projecting that of like, how, how can I be good enough for you mm. so that you choose me in yeah. your life? Oh, trust me. Girl, <laughs> I wrote that novel years ago. <laughs> and I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it till I got sick of that book. I'm serious. Like, you know, I chased people for a long time. I chased people for a long time. And I realized that I was treating a lot of different people as a lifetime when they were meant to be a season. Mm, mm-hmm. And also that there was no reason for me to chase them. And that everything that I wanted them to give to me, that I was perfectly giving it to myself. I was perfectly able to give it to myself. And the more I could give it to myself, the less I needed it from them. And either they would poof out of my space and I'd never see them again, or something would completely shift and they would show up in my life completely differently than how they had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I was just at peace with it and it didn't really matter one way or the other. Right. So either way, when you shift, they shift. (laughs) When you shift, they shift. That is a great quote for today. So let's go back to music. All right. Now that we did our little segue <laughs> or our detour. <laughs> it was a lovely detour. I think it's all part of the thing. Oh, it's yeah. All, all inclusive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it is. So tell us about your style of, of music. Let's go into songwriting. Um, kind of if you could categorize yourself in a genre or... Uh, if you were to relate to any artists, like what artists do you draw from? How do you see, how do you project your, your, yourself Speaking as an artist? projection. <laughs> so that's definitely evolved over 10 years, a little longer than that. But, uh, you know, as long as I've been really, really doing this in the thick of it. Um, mm-hmm. When I first came out, I was like very committed to being R&B. That was what I, that was what I really clung to. Especially because of the natural relationship with hip-hop. I felt very, you know, close to that. And then, like I you know, my first full-length album is called Journey of a Gemini. And it's a 16-track album. And on that album, there is R&B. There's pop. There's blues. There's reggae. <laughs> there's a dance song. like a, Almost like a, like a techno song, almost. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh my gosh. I mean, thank God it was called Journey of a Gemini. It could give me a little space to be a Gemini on there. <laughs> but I realized like that I wasn't one thing. Yeah. I wasn't one thing as an artist. I wasn't one thing as a songwriter. And I primarily for a long time was a top liner, which means that I would work with producers and they would provide music and I would write. <clears throat> I'd create the melody line. I would create the lyrics based on their existing music that also has evolved as I got more proficient on guitar and keys and was able to create just on my own or co-writing <clears throat> so it's evolved um so artists who inspire me and I aspire to um since I got this car I I traded in my jeep right before I left New York and I got a an Elantra which came with Sirius Radio okay and I pretty much, without exception, except for maybe I could add up maybe a month of days, maybe a month, maybe not even, I have pretty much just listened to nothing but the Beatles. Um, and I've always listened mm. to the Beatles from when I was a little girl. I was a Beatle freak, and I love the Beatles, and I wanted to be the Beatles, and I wanted to be Ringo Starr. <laughs> I was a drummer growing up, so I wanted to be Ringo Starr, and I wanted to be Karen Carpenter. I really wanted to be Karen Carpenter because she, you know, she was drummer, singer, but I also wanted to eat food. No disrespect to Karen Carpenter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was too hungry for that. Um, no, she was like my idol though. She okay. was my idol. Uh, Karen Carpenter vocally, I trained on her. I also trained on Canadian artists. Um, some younger people may not know this woman, but her name is Anne Murray. So Anne Murray and Karen Carpenter, when I started taking voice lessons when I was about 
think I was like eight. Um, that's who I, I trained, uh, Celine Dion. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to a lot of that too. Um, and then I fell in love with hip hop and then my whole life changed. And I was like, I think I, I kind of want to do this too. And I was just on the outskirts of it for a while. And this last year in particular, I've just gone all in. I've had the the good fortune of working with a producer that allows me to be a million percent myself and mm-hmm. allows me to serve the song in whatever capacity I need to show up for it. So cool. I don't necessarily consider myself a singer anymore. I like to characterize myself as a vocal character actor because I, mm. I am whoever I need to be to serve the song. Nice. Vocal character actor. Mm-hmm. Is that, that is a real like, definition or term right oh for sure okay like, and, and it was actually like brought to my attention in a session in new york oh really so crazy thing but i was working on a writing session in queens with um jerry brooks his bass player great freaking bass player great producer incredible musician and we're working on this song called hate on me which never saw the light of day which still breaks my heart a little bit <laughs> incredible I'll play it for you sometime but so in any event we're recording it and he's like yo my um my friend's gonna stop by for a keyboard you know so just so you know there's someone's gonna stop by and uh, I'm like uh, okay so, so we go on with our session and all of a sudden his friend stops by and his his friend ends up being Omar Hakim and for anyone who is you know uh familiar with drummers um You'll know Omar Hakim has been on pretty much every one of the best records that has ever existed, ever, ever. And if you don't know who Omar Hakim is, look him up. But anyway, so he showed up to the mm. session, and I'm like, oh! So he's playing him the song, and Omar looks at me, and he's like, look, you're a great singer. He's like, um, but you don't have to be a great singer. Like, you, you need to serve the song. He was like, when I was, when I was in the... In the session with Earth, Wind, and Fire. What? He was like, you know, we talked about the the singability of songs. Like, you want the uh. song to be singable, so you don't need to worry about doing all this technical stuff. And, you know, you'll work all of that out, but just sing the song you want it to, to be singable. He said, but the most important thing that you can do it, to serve the song is to become a vocal ar- character actor and to become the person that you need to tell the story of the song. Mm. So like that's it. I'm a vocal character. Mic drop. <laughs> right. I was like, all right, got it, and I got it from like one of the most incredible musicians that ever walked the face of the earth. <sighs> so it was like okay, and and it changed everything for me because I mm-hmm. I was so in my head all the time. I had so much self doubt about myself as a singer. I was like, I'm not that good. My range. Oh, nah, 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 nah. And it just allowed me to be who I needed to be to serve the song. Mm-hmm. And that's all I ever wanted to do anyway. But I was just too far into my head to realize that. And he dropped that gem and it opened up a whole new world for me. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like as artists, we often kind of put ourselves in boxes. Mm. And I mean, kind of like I may have just done to you now. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, asking fine. you what genre you are. But, you know, it's just... It, I'm like, catch me if you can. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but we're so concerned about you know, fitting into a certain category and being a certain thing. Um, we are until we're not. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and some people are for the rest of it. And some people just naturally progress towards that. Yeah. Some people are just naturally gospel. Some people right. are just naturally hip hop artists. They're not going to go down this road and go do country music. Mm-hmm. There's And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with any of it. Mm-hmm. I just know for myself that it comes out of me in a lot of different ways and the best thing I can do is just get out of the way and allow it to come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. I think that's a great thing for a lot of us to consider as you know, musicians and artists out there is what would happen if I just kind of unclenched a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole yeah. theme of this podcast, it seems. It's just kind of letting go. But man, when you do, that's oftentimes... I mean, I was talking with my producer the other day, like... Um, this song that we're recording that's like one of my best ones it kind of just came out of me when I was writing it it wasn't something that um I really sat and thought about but then again another song we're recording is one that I took up to six months to go back and go back and so it's kind of like that just 
whatever it's, it is, if it's something that just flows through you or if it's something that you put the care and time into, it all works and you should just let yourself, you know, roll with the flow of whichever Trust it the is. Process. Yeah. That's all. There are songs that take three minutes and there are songs that take three years. Oh my God. Yeah. Had all of them. <laughs> I mean, literally, sometimes I literally, I, I wrote one song called Silence is Golden and I just bawled my eyes out. I cried and cried and cried, and I wrote the entire song in minutes, mm-hmm. and it was done. And there are other songs that I started writing another song. I think I, it was right as I was maybe homeless, and it wasn't until I got to the other side of that that I finished it. Hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that I had to have. In fact, the song was about that experience, so it was like I had to have the experience before I could write about it. Right. Yeah. There was no. I couldn't write it yet. Mm-hmm. I was not yet the person I needed to be to show up for that song and mm-hmm. to serve it the way that I knew it needed to be served. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. And there are songs like, I, I know as artists sometimes we're like, well, I'm a this artist, so I can't do this. Well, then you can be a songwriting artist. And if you don't feel particularly attached to the song, which in all reality, once you put a song out into the world, it's not yours anyway. But if it feels like something that's not going to move through you vocally... Give sell it. it give it yeah. away do something with it there's so much music that never sees the light of day because people want to hold on to it yeah or they want to just hold it and judge it to the point where it never goes anywhere right it's like you're not serving the song that way you're literally hiding your gifts and your truth from the world that could be best served with you sharing it mm-hmm. in whatever that whatever that looks like whether it's your voice or someone else's or whatever Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh that's a good point i like that I held on to a lot of my songs for a long time. They were like, oh, Screaming to be Free, you should give that to a big artist to do. And I was like, I was so resentful of that. Mm. They were like, it's such a great song. You should have somebody else sing it. And it was like, wow. And down the line, one of the versions of that song was my first Grammy consideration. And that was kind of my F you to everyone who said that to me. But then it was also my realization that, like, maybe if I had given it to a bigger artist, it would have won the Grammy instead of just been under contention. So it was like, mm. ah, okay. I yes. see both sides of the coin here. I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, so. Because yeah. art is collaborative, you know? Who yeah. says that someone else can't sing your song and it can't still be both of your art? And the greatest songs ever are sung by, like, hundreds of artists. Like, right. everyone wants to cover them because it's such a great song. I was thinking about that the other day. I never cover Beatles stuff. I never cover Beatles stuff. (laughs) It's like I consider it like, it'd be like trying to sing the Bible or something. I don't know. I just feel like I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to like blow up in flames or something. Uh (laughs) I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No. I would love to hear a Beatles cover from you. Uh, I've only done, I think I've only ever done one. I did it at this coffee house in a church one time. I didn't light into flames, so that was good. Um, <laughs> in a church and the Beatles. Bam. Uh, it, I did Let It Be, and that was fun. That's a good but one. But Jonathan and I have been talking about doing a... Well, I have been talking to Jonathan about <laughs> um, doing a cover of Octopus's Garden. I don't uh-huh. know what it is. There's something on the harmonies and stuff. It's like such a magical song, and it's all about the inner workings of this underworld universe that Uh that like literally like takes care of itself and grooms itself and like it's it's magical i don't know it just feels yeah so stay tuned for that okay (laughs) i don't know when but yeah yeah (laughs) talking about it i'm excited to hear that well speaking of staying tuned what's coming next with you what can we expect to see in 2021 from so you go by K Fox, right? K-Fox. As your artist name. Yeah. Okay. So what can we expect to see from K Fox? What's coming up? K Fox. K F H O X. No spaces, dashes, or dots. <laughs> I'd like to put that out there. We're like K dot. No, it's just it's my full name is Catherine Epoxy, so it's an abbreviation of that. All right. So there's K Fox one hundred one. Uh, next single is just in time for Fashion Week. It comes out February twelfth. It is called Fresh to Death. It is definitely a fashion song. It's a runway-inspired song. It's really, like, about self-love. It's about starting your day every day and, like, knowing that you are the best of the best and, like, facing the world every single day with that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the follow-up single to that is one called Rider, which I'm pretty excited about because the visual for that, um, which you will also be part of, um, that's the next video that, that will come out um, and single. And it's about... So I put three songs out in a row. One is Just Love, then the next one is Fresh to Death, and then Rider. And there was like a, a method to my madness. Just Love that we dropped last year, at the end of last year, is really about like the kind of the immature loves. Like I talked about like being on the subway in New York City and like in my mind looking across the subway and seeing a random guy and in my mind having a whole relationship with him in my head mm-hmm. and like, you know, getting married and like what our kids would look like, like literally. And then he gets off the stop and I'm like, well, that's the end of that one. <laughs> um, and doing the same in like my dating stuff. But then, like, so then evolved to Fresh to Death, which is really just about, like, owning more of, like, my queendom, owning more of my confidence as a woman, mm-hmm. just owning my greatness and walking the walk, talking the talk, and just, like, being about it. And then with that, I've found through my work, the more I did that, the more I naturally attracted someone who was really aligned with who I am as a person, mm-hmm. so that there comes Ryder which is all about the, the, the chorus says, my loyalty is royalty and you already know. My loyalty is royalty and you already know. You're my king and I'll do any, everything to show. You're my writer, you're my king. Oh my God, I can't do it unless I'm singing it. <laughs> no, In any event, it's all about like the more you love yourself, the more you attract your ideal self out, outside of yourself. Oh. That's what writer is about. Oh. Um, but we also thankfully got to um, rent um for the day an f-type jaguar for that music video <laughs> and it was the most ballerish thing i've ever done as an artist so i'm pretty excited about that um i'm working on i already finished a, another children's book it's about a little girl who learns to play guitar and about the life lessons that you learn playing an instrument um i also am back blogging for what's hot in hip-hop which is based in new york i used to um, help run that company i stepped down when i moved here and now I'm back blogging for them, so I've been blogging virtually, and also, like, I had Lord Goldie on one of the interviews, so we do a live interview, and then we do, I do a follow-up blog, mm-hmm. so I'm working on more of that, and I have been continuously working on this memoir for my mother. Um, she really wanted to write a book in her lifetime about her mental illness and about her family's experience with it, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've been interviewing my father for since as long as well, even before she passed but I interviewed her before she passed I have like literally uh like 20 of her journals um so I've just been taking my time I have no idea when that will see the light of day but it's something that I just continuously work on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. slowly but yeah first and foremost is fresh to death and uh we've got enough music to drop a single every single month for the next year or two uh, new music with Jonathan, but we're actually going to put our music together at, under a collective name as opposed to K Fox, so it'll be okay. under a different brand, and also co written, which is the project of all the co writes. So yeah, I got something coming up. This that is year. a uh... <laughs> it'll be it'll be a good year musically. It'll be a great year. Yeah, I'm for excited. sure. I'm I'm loving the stuff that we've been working on. Yeah, me too. We like never left the studio after you guys left. Oh really? We literally locked in and just, <laughs> we we're like, no, we're good. We're gonna knock this out. We're at least gonna get some kind of reference or something. And uh-huh. he wanted to work on the production side, so oh, when we're yeah. done, I can I can play some stuff for you. But yeah, he we we have really enjoyed working on that song. Uh, good, good. Me too. Me too. I feel like you and I uh, vibe as artists. Definitely kindred spirits. Yeah, you for know, sure. Your dad thought you were me. You know. He did. <laughs> he did. That's so funny. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I can see it. Like we both, we both love wigs and wigs. heels. And we have like a a, a deeper tone. Mhm. Mhm. And yeah, we're just awesome. Yeah, we're both awesome. <laughs> Lots of things in common. So. Yes. Starbucks. Starbucks. Coffee. <laughs> we're we both addiction. addicted to coffee. <laughs> We both have little animals. There you go. Who are <laughs> adorable. But anyway, so before we wrap this up, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any tidbits or just random knowledge you want to lay down before we 
call it a day. Yeah, I would say, um, especially going into the new year, I challenge people to open their minds and their hearts more going into this year as we face even more unprecedented times. You know, we're entering a new presidential administration, but I challenge people to know that regardless of who's in that office or administration, that you're still responsible for your own life um, and that no one's coming to save you. Mm-hmm. So um, to just, you know, keep keep doing the work with yourself, keep your mind open, keep your heart open, keep letting people in, just keep shifting the narrative in your own mind for a brighter future because it's, it's there waiting for everyone if we'll just get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, it was great <laughs> having you. We've got some awesome material here for everyone to listen to. I can't wait for y'all to take a listen and we'll see you next time on Up Next with AJ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you have it. What an awesome, awesome interview. Thanks so much again to Catherine for joining us on episode four. If you want to find Catherine's stuff, check her out at kfox.com. That's K-F-H-O-X dot com. Her music is amazing. Her Instagram has got tons of great stuff. Um, She's, as you heard, a visual artist, author, and much, much more. So please go check her out, support her, stream her, give her all of the love. All right, that's it for today, and I will see you next week with a new episode of Up Next with AJ. Have a great weekend. Thank you.